guys. Well, they call it profiling. You've heard that word before. People profile people or races. They profile situations. And profiling is when you size up a situation and you form a perspective on it as you go into it. Uh, you interpret it based on the perspective you form from what you see. And we do it with people, but we also do it with environments. And probably the most vivid uh, example I've ever seen is from a classic movie that it just touches my heart and, and just comes out and grips me. It's when a group of people are trying to decide which, a- which aliens are worth annihilating and which aliens are not worth annihilating. It's from the movie Men in Black. Take a look. Everyone profiles. Every situation, everybody profiles. They size up the situation that you find yourself in, and you always form a predetermined mindset about that situation. Some of you came in this morning and saw that we had all the stuff still set up from Friday's worship concert. And some of you went, oh, I am ready to go, man. That is so cool. Let's do it some more. And it affected your mindset. Others of you came in, you may, not, you may have just, this may be your first time. You walked in, and all you could focus on was those little white, one-eyed alien dudes in the back. And you kept thinking, they act like they, they're like, are they self-aware? Are those lasers? You're looking the exits on the way out, right? You, you profile the situation, and your mindset going into the way you think about it is to a large degree predetermined before you even encounter what goes on there. Now, we started something last week, and, we're, and it, we're calling it 50 Days with Jesus. We invited you, and we're still inviting you on a journey with us to understand something about Jesus, that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. He does not just want your obedience. He just does not want your assent to his reality. He does not want you to pray a prayer just to get into heaven. He, he offered himself to restore you so you can have a relationship with him in the here and now. At this very moment, there is a risen, living Jesus Christ who by his spirit is in the room right now and says, I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want to walk through the, the moments of your life with you. I don't usually say this because I don't usually ask people to go back and listen to something I already said. But if you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to go to the website and listen to last week's talk because it introduced this whole concept of practicing the presence 
of Jesus in our lives. We talked about, we talked from John 15. In fact, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you back there just briefly. We're going to go all over the place in Scripture today. But in John 15, Jesus introduced this picture of how that works. He uses this word picture that we, the, the, the translation is abiding in him or remaining him, staying connected with him in a way that grapevines and branches have nutrients flowing between them. He says, I want you to know me like that. I want you to practice my presence. It's a relationship. In John 15, he says uh, something a little bit more about that if you keep reading. He talks about how that happens. And again, last week we did most of the introduction of this. But he says, uh, he says, so in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so if I've loved you now, abide in that. Remain in it. Be aware. Linger in, the pre- linger in the fact that right now, at this very moment, there is a God who is alive and real. Jesus is in the room and he is loving you right now. He's aware of your situation. You can be aware of his. He says, he goes on to say, if you obey me, my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my father's commands. Now, then he goes on and says, verse uh, 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. See, he doesn't want that kind of a relationship with you. He doesn't want just just a master-slave type of thing. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've disclosed to you. It's a very relational connection. I've, I've made known this pers- his perspective. He's talking about our minds. I've revealed to your mind a way to think. So, what does it mean to have this abiding relationship with Jesus? If we're walking with Jesus for 50 days and hopefully beyond, but we're really trying to focus on it, it's not just being with him. At, at, for, for a lot of us, it's beginning to think like Jesus. To have the perspective of Jesus. Because here's something that's true about your life. You, everybody, you, brought, you brought one in with you. A life essence. It's what's keeping you alive. It's your blood's pumping and all that. But there is a life, a spirit within you. If you have come to know Jesus Christ, if you have given him your life, if you've accepted the exchange that he offers, that you take your dead life separated from God, he gives you his life. He calls that a purchase, a redemption. And the life that you carried in with you now is not yours. You surrendered your dead life and you accepted his life. And that's why 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So therefore, honor God with your body and all the things that the body does. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I was crucified with Christ. When he died, he died for me. He took my, my dead life. I separated from God, soiled life. And I no longer live. But Christ, there's something he did. He, he lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He bought our life. He is the Lord over it, including the perspective that your mind gives to every situation. That is now under the canopy of his ownership. He wants to be involved in that. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to begin to think his thoughts about that situation. And so there's a process going on. If, if you're looking for God to come in and rescue your life and then set you on your way and say, go get him, that's not how he intends it. 
He buys your life and now he wants to form your life. He had a picture that he designed you for and it, it, that formation is going to resemble Jesus more and more. So he's in the process of forming what your body does and what your mind thinks about. So 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 2 describes that. It says, here's what's going on. Now follow this for a minute. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Okay, that, what does that mean? It means in order to think like a, a human being, you probably need to be a human being. Your pet canary can't understand how you think. So you have to have the, you have, to have the spirit of a man, of a, a human, to understand how a human's mind thinks. Then he goes on to say, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. God has a way of thinking. Well, except you have to be, you have to have the spirit of God present. And here's, remember what we just said? You now have the spirit of God within your soul. You are a carrier of the spirit of God. So he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord uh, that he may instruct him? But he says, but here's something that's true. We have the mind of Christ. He's forming your mind so that your perspective and the way you think begins to resemble less what lost sinful, uh, self-directed humans do and what found, rescued, God-touched humans do, reflecting Him. In Romans 8, he says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. That's how all of us are born. But when you walk with Jesus, something happens. When you get to know him, he forms something in you. And this is what it says happens. But those who live in accordance with the spirit that's within them have their minds set on what the spirit desires. This is what the, the Bible's talking about when it says, Jesus said, well, what, what, what does God really want from, from people? And the answer is real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and your soul and your strength. Let the way we think begin to be like the way Jesus thinks. And so that happens through the principles we introduced last week, the principles of abiding, being constantly connected with Jesus, having an awareness that in every circumstance you encounter, he's there in the room. He's there in your soul. To invite his presence in there, to linger in his love and involve him in the moment. And then to mimic him including thinking with him about it, thinking like him, to say, how does he think in this situation? I got trained, um, I was in a leadership position at a college and worked with uh, students, and, and so I had to get trained in some basic um, rescue stuff and CPR and those kinds of things. And they said, they said what we need to do with you is we need, to un- we need to, you to unlearn some things about how people normally think when you're in an emergency situation. Some of you are, are doctors and nurses. Some of you are in rescue operation kinds of things. Some of you have served in the military. The same thing happens there. When people are in training to, in law school, they say we have to teach them to, tra- to think like a lawyer. And that just makes me shudder. Sorry to all you lawyers. But, but in this, they say we have to teach you to think differently before you ever get into the situation so that you move toward the crisis instead of away from it. So you don't think about yourself. You think about the others first. And that did not come naturally for me. And I, you know, because when there's danger, I know how I think. I'm looking at this. I'm protecting this. 
And if you happen to be near this, I might use you as a shield so that I can protect this. So we have to unthink that way. And they say, we have to train you to think. And they went through all this stuff. And I, had, I said, it's not working. It's not working. And then one day, late at night, I'm driving. And all of a sudden, I come up and it just had happened. There was one of those mini buses from the airport. Probably holds about 20, 25 people. You know, they take people, shuttle kind of buses, small luggage and stuff. I come up and this thing had I don't even know how it happened. It had careened and it had gone and it went completely over on its side. And so it was sideways and people were scrambling. And I pull up behind it and there are people steering around. There are people get, get, and there's some people coming out of the thing. And this is weird. I'm not saying this because it w- would happen today. It was just after this training had happened. And I didn't even know what was going on next. And next thing you know, I'm running into so- this sideways back door of this overturned thing and there's acidy stuff dripping on me it's burning when it's hitting me and there are people laying down and there are people trying to get out and the next thing you know we're like there's a couple other people have gone in and we're and we're pulling these people out and they get out and then the police come and they say you know you probably shouldn't do that because what was dripping there is explosive and you could think they cleared the area because it could have exploded and i went what was I thinking? I, but I wasn't thinking like myself in the moment. The training kicked in. Some of you live that life. Some of you do that all the time. That was one out of the ordinary experience for me that gave me a picture of, oh, there is a certain way I'm wired to think. But if you're trained and you're aware of something, it shifts the way you think. So here, here's where that comes down to. You find yourself in profiling situations. And Jesus says, let's do life together. I want you to walk with me. I want you to be aware of me in that moment and let's shift the way you think about it. So we're going to call it in the moment thinking like Jesus. Everything that follows from the rest of this study that we're just quick we're going to do of looking at Jesus and seeing how he thinks is based on that activity being active in our lives. Unnatural. So, Here's what happens. Two people can see the same exact situation, the same exact presentation, and they can have two completely different perspectives on whether they, what they see. For instance, take a look at this. This is called the perspective test. Some of you see good when you see that. Some of you see evil when you see that. How many of you see good? How many of the first thing you saw was good? How many of the first thing you saw was evil? Okay, something wrong with, something wrong. Some of you don't even know what we're talking about. What do you mean evil? <laughs> Look closely. It's a matter of your perspective. It's not necessarily right or wrong. Your perspective will, will guide how you think about that. So we're invited to think with Jesus about our circumstances, our surroundings. When Jesus, so how did Jesus think when he encountered circumstances, changes in scenery, things that he saw in front of him? I want to give you just one of many, many examples. Uh, Mark chapter 4. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but I'm just going to read you this familiar story about Jesus. He and his disciples are on this preaching tour, and uh, and, and they're going to cross the lake, large lake. And it says in Mark 4.35, that day when evening came, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. 
They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. These are, they are professional fishermen. They've been in this situation before, but this one's got them scared. This is a pretty significant storm. A furious squall, they call it. Jesus, it says in verse 38, was in the stern, and he was asleep. Sleeping on a cushion. I cannot sleep when somebody else drives. Um, some, my wife can fall asleep in two seconds. I cannot sleep. I think if I, we were just talking about this, listen, if, I, if I'm tired and I don't want to sleep, then she's got to be tired. She's driving and so, I, so if I'm dozing off and she's driving, we hit a little, I'm like, what? Ah, you know, I just, I can't sleep. But Jesus has a way of thinking. It's not just that he was so tired he was asleep. There's something that's true about the way Jesus thinks that allows him to sleep in situations like this. He's asleep in the stern. The disciples woke him up and they said to him, watch, they profiled the situation. They had a perspective on the situation. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They've sized it up. There's a risk. They think they're in desperate trouble and they yell and they and have decided that Jesus doesn't care. They're scolding him. Don't you care if we drown? Jesus gets up. I, I, I don't, I, I'm curious what this was like in this moment. Did he wipe the sleep from his eyes? Did he just look around? Did he just go, oh, you guys. All it says, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, if you're making a big presentation about the life of Jesus, you might, he might stand up, you know, over it. He might open his arms and he may yell, quiet, be still. And it would be the music and, you know, all of a sudden it would be. I have a feeling. I don't know. I just have a feeling. That Jesus, who is God in flesh and is completely aware of the situation, knows where he's headed, knows what God is doing, basically just said, quiet, be still. Just as casually as he would say anything else. That's just my guess. But what we do know is the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Well, I had an answer to that. I don't like the thought of dying. Drowning does not sound good to me. This looks like pain. Why are you so afraid? I've sized up the situation. It's obvious why I'm so afraid. And he says, do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The fact that they ask, who is this, is revealing. They're still trying to get their minds around something that is true about Jesus. This is not just a prophet. This is not just a leader and a man. This is the one who controls all of creation. And Jesus had a mindset that he reflected there. He had a, he, when he profiled the situation of his circumstances, he knew that these things were true. He knew that God was present in that moment. He knew that God was sovereign in total control. God was not caught by surprise by this. It did not sneak up on him and think, what am I going to do? He knew that God was good and that God had a plan. He knew that God was the owner of this situation. And he was, had that perspective in all of his circumstances. So when he walked into a room, when he encountered his situations, even the most fearful of them, here's what I noticed about Jesus. The guy was never in a hurry. He never felt panic. He never felt rushed or frenzied because he knew those things were true. 
His pre, he had a predisposition about the steps he was taking. That in this moment, there is a good father who is with me, who is scripting this plan, who's walking through this. And it shaped his attitude, his profile of that moment. Romans 14 says this. None of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. This has to do with the purchase of God of your life. If we live... The whole purpose of God in our lives is we're living for His purposes. We're living to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to Him. There's somebody else who's in charge. And that perspective is going on while the event is happening. Not just after. So Colossians 3 says, so set your minds... On things above, not on earthly things. Because, here's that point again. Your life died. And you and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. Very famous passage in Philippians 1 puts it this way. For to me, living means living for Christ. To live is Christ. And dying is even better. There's a predisposition about the circumstances that I'm encountering. Now that sounds all well and good. But what happens when the circumstances take a huge, undesirable turn? Things that come in that are painful and they are threatening. Because that happens. I just read it again this week. Somebody said, I came to know Jesus thinking it was going to make my life better. And my life is worse. Circumstantially. I've had more struggle and I've had more pain because of having Jesus in my life. If I'd signed up for Jesus to make me happy, I would, have, I would have traded him back in. Perhaps that's not his purpose. Perhaps he's got a deeper one. But those things, because those things do come. When uncertain circumstances come, when the answer that you desperately want to be yes is no. When the doctor gives you this, the, the news and the news is exactly what you prayed would not happen when you apply for the job and it's given to one to somebody else somebody who you don't even think deserves it over you when the choices get made and you get rejected rather than accepted in those moments that's when this gets tested in those moments there's a little phrase in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 often gets read at funerals, and it's not bad, but it wasn't written for funerals. It wasn't really written for talking about when people had died. It was taught, it's actually written through for when people are alive and they struggle. When it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this doesn't say even when I die or I'm near death. This means when it feels like things are crumbling, when I, the, the valley of the shadow of death is when it feels like my life is going wrong. I will fear no evil. And here's the phrase that we gloss over, but it is true in this very moment, in this very situation. For you are with me. As a shepherd, his rod and his staff comfort me, he goes on to say. You, God, are with me. When you heard the word no, when you got the rejection, 
when you felt completely abandoned by everybody else, there was something that was absolutely true. Did it happen to you this month? Did it happen to you this week? If you know him, there is something that absolutely was there. You, God, are with me. His presence in the moment means that he knows. He is purposeful. He's in control. There is something that is true. Let me just say this, pause for a moment, just say if if that's you today. You find yourself right now going through something that just feels so desperate, so wrong, so out of control. You can't, it it feel, you don't know where God is. You've prayed, you don't, or maybe you haven't prayed, but you just don't know where it's headed and it feels so wrong. You feel so alone. Here is the guarantee of God. Not only is He with you in the middle of that, there is something beyond it. There is something behind it. And these two things will always be true. That the God who is with you is in control. And the God who is with you is good. His purpose is good. Jesus walked around with a perspective that when the st- right in the middle of the storm, he knew that his God was with him. He knew that his God was in control. He knew that his God was good, even if it was painful. Thinking like Jesus means we begin in... You know what that means? It means that we, sh- we narrow, a, we, sh- we shorten a gap. See, here's what happens to me. I go through something. I get all worked up about it. I, I get in anguish. Five years later, I look back and I go, oh, perspective. You do that? Oh, that didn't kill me. Oh, some good ca- kind of came out of that. Oh, okay. Sometimes it takes me five years to do that. Thinking like Jesus means narrowing the gap between when it happens and when I think like him. I don't have to understand it. I just need to have his profile of it. Jesus got to the place, Jesus lived in the place where in the moment he thought, my God is with me, my God is in control, my God is good, my Father knows what he's doing. We, thinking like Jesus means we narrow the time it takes to have the occurrence happen and the perspective of it happen. There is always something behind it and beyond it. I can't wave a magic wand today and tell, tell you, now, now that's going to happen. You know, how, you know how this happens? is You set your mind so that the next turn that happens, and maybe it's going to happen this afternoon. Maybe it's happening right now. You pause and you practice the presence of Jesus in that moment. You concentrate on what Jesus would think and what is true about the way he thinks. And you say, I'm going to mimic his thinking in my own life. It changes our view of our circumstances and it also changes our view of something specific. It changes our view of the way we think about interruptions. And now what I'm about to say to you is something that I believe is true and I have no idea how to live it. Okay? I just want to be forthright with you. Because we, and I'll say it for me, have a natural hatred of interruptions. I hate being interrupted. I hate when life interrupts me. I hate when, because I am focused and I got something I'm going to do. And when the phone rings, I don't know when this happened. When I was a kid, the phone rang, ooh, something's going to happen. Ooh, who wants to play? 
And now when the phone rings, it's, what's wrong now? Who, who, who wants something from me now? I don't know when that shift happened, but the phone is an interruption. I've got something important to do, and whatever the interruption is, is a block to that. It's something that's getting in the way of what I've decided is right and good. It slows my progress, it disrupts my focus, it blocks my goal, and it just annoys me. So somebody stops by to visit. Hey, hey, hope we're not interrupting anything. Of course you're interrupting something. Because well, at least that's how it feels. Now, I'm not, and now, now not only am I not good at interruption, now I've got to lie. Oh no, I'm so happy to see you. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It feels like what was it was more important. I was watching one of those point two television shows. It's a Gilligan's Island rerun, but I was in it. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Were they going to get off the island or not? You interrupted that. Doesn't matter how important it is. Here, here's what you notice about Jesus. His whole ministry. Jesus was constantly getting interrupted. There's studies been done about Jesus being interrupted. And there's something that's true about Jesus being interrupted. Here's just one example of it. Luke 5, verse 17. Again, a fairly well-known story. One day he was teaching. And um, it says, The Pharisees and teachers of the law who'd come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. So it's like Jesus, it's a Jesus. He's got a big seminar going on. These bigwigs are here. Right, this is important. These are leaders. If he can influence these guys, something important is going to happen. And he's in the middle of his talk. He's probably got a PowerPoint presentation going on. You know, it's like he's, he, he, you know, he's, he's right there in the middle of it. It says the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. So, I mean, he is in the zone, man. He is going. And then it says some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, thatched roof kind of thing. They tore away the thatching of the roof. And you've probably, if you've been around the church, you might have heard this story, right? And they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. I've always wondered, how good do those guys have to be with those ropes, man? Like, how many ropes were there? I'm sorry, this is just like one slip, man. And the whole thing, how did they do that? But uh, they did it, okay? They lower him nicely. They lower him through the roof. Guy can't move. They lower him through the roof. Major interruption. I mean, come on. If the roof opened up right now and somebody repelled in, I'd be like, come on. (laughs) Jesus saw their faith. Friend, he says, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees, teachers of the law, began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and he does something in this moment that accomplishes more, I'm thinking, than the whole 15 minutes he might have been teaching, as compelling as it might have been. Because the Bible doesn't tell you what he was teaching. God has decided what he was teaching wasn't important enough to spell out here. But it was important enough to include here, guess what he did next? And he says, get up and walk. And the paralyzed man immediately stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Here's what, here's what happened when Jesus was, uh, when he was interrupted. 
I mean, he was talking one time and a guy yells out and says, Hey, hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Complete interruption. And Jesus turns the focus and goes, Okay, we got a moment. Let's talk about it. He was a teaching about life right there. He's teaching in another place, walking along. And children keep coming up. And people keep, hey, kiss my baby, kiss my baby, bless my baby. And the disciples go, get the children out of here. we got an election to win. And Jesus says the famous words, let the children come to me. In that moment, he teaches something so profound about heaven. He goes, because the kingdom of heaven is, like, is made up of people like this. People who understand that they got nothing to offer. And they just come up to receive from the one who can give it to them. The most profound moments in his life, in his ministry, happened because of interruptions. And there is a principle there that is absolutely true. That interruptions are not pauses to the agenda of God. Interruptions are the agenda of God. The vast majority of things that happen that turn our lives from the hand of God happen in the form of something that interrupts. That doesn't look like it was expected. That you weren't planning and you weren't moving toward. The most significant opportunities of God are not scheduled. They present themselves unannounced. Disguised as interruptions. God is in the interruptions. There's a commercial on on television that we saw. And it's for this investing firm. And it has to do with... um, retirement and the line says and there's a coffee shop and there's a woman and there's a man who's looking at the woman and she's all worried she's reading and says and there's a voiceover that says we all have to plan for retirement but says but when we start worrying about tomorrow and the lady gets up and she walks out the man looks she never she's all worried she's not she goes we we miss out on what matters today and then there's this little thing that comes up here's here's a shot from it she's walking past him never looks at him and and it says, that was her soulmate. It was so funny, the reaction in our house. I was like, oh, brother. <laughs> and my wife, who I love, she goes, oh. <laughs> because the interruption represents the opportunity. You may not like it, and I may not like it. But God is in your interruptions. Here's the thing. You don't know which ones are the most profound ones that he has designed. An interruption may just be something that doesn't go anywhere. And an interruption may lead you to the soulmate of your life. You just don't know. The perspective and thinking is when you have the interruption happen, the way of Jesus is to think of it and say, there is a sovereign God who has decided to bring this in my life for a purpose. I got to pay attention. This is what Proverbs means when it says, in his heart, a man plans his course. I got that part. I'm really good at that. I got to-do lists. I got five-year plans. I got all kinds of stuff. that I got ways things are going to go. Can I tell you, I've never, I've stopped five-year plans. I don't do me. I don't do it for the church anymore. I don't do it for myself anymore. Oh yeah, there's directions we want to go. But I've never once set out, never once. Have I set out for a five-year plan and five years plans that, hey, look at that, got all that done. What's next? It's never happened. My life is so different now than I thought it would be five years from now at any five-year point in my life. And I bet that's true in yours. 
The reason is because the God who knows you and loves you and wants to walk through your life is going, he's accomplishing more in the journey than he is in the goals. Even in the painful stuff, even when you don't feel him there, that's where he's accomplishing his most profound things. He's going to introduce things because he wants to get the glory for himself because that's who deserves it. He does not want your plans to work. He wants to be the Lord over your plans. The way he will make sure that happens is he'll inject his plans in small little doses of interruptions that feel frustrating in the moment, that feel like setbacks in the moment. But if our thinking changes and we recognize them, we just walk with him through it. And sometimes the most profound things happen there. Proverbs 19.21 You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. He will accomplish His purpose. Thinking like Jesus, thinking with Jesus, means we pause and we practice His presence, hear this, in the middle of the interruption. Right when it's happening. Our perspective on it is, I don't know what this is for. It may not be for anything, but I'll explore it and I'll have a heart that is ready to embrace what happens because of this interruption. I will begin to think like Jesus because the interruption is the agenda unveiled. And this week... I'm in the middle of getting this talk ready. I mean, I'm, we, I, I'm in the, I'm, I'm scrambling, right? It's like toward the end of the week, and I'm, it's Friday. I'm in the middle, and we got the concert that night, and other stuff happening the rest of the weekend. It, and I'm in the middle of trying to get this thing, this thing ready, and it's not ready. And I'm going, okay, I got a concentrated point of time. And on Friday afternoon, something comes into my life that forces me to say, Oh, I completely forgot that. And I have to leave where I am. I have to go and deal with that. And I have to come back. And I'm angry and spitting mad. And I'm going, I can't believe this. And I'm complaining to my wife. I can't believe I left this thing. And now I can't get my talk done about how God is in the interruptions. <laughs> I'm, it is unbelievable. So I'm telling you, this is true but i am struggling to live it and i need the help of people around me and the people in my cell group to say what does it look like to actually live it to have the interruption happen and have my mindset thinking jesus is thinking about this i want to think like him right now in this moment in our little uh, resources that we have that we hope everybody here will get if you haven't got them already F- daily stuff 50 days with jesus we have an online version you can get. They're on the table. And the, I'll pick one up. There's a hard copy if you, if, you don't, didn't, if, you, if you function better with paper. And every week we've got a little suggested exercise. The suggested exercise this week is to start. You can put it on your iPad. You can put it on a piece of paper. Start what you can call an interruption log for this week. And I want to do this. So that, and then have it with me. And when an interruption comes... To recognize it, and as soon as I can afterwards, write down what that interruption was and what my response was. To ask myself and ask the presence of Jesus in the moment, help me think like you right now in the middle of this interruption. Let's see what happens. Let's see how it changes how we profile our world, how we react to our situations, how we cope with the things that are hard. 
Henry Nouwen, whose stuff is so, he, he, he's with the Lord now. He, he, he said such deep stuff about life, but sometimes so practical. I didn't even ha- understand half of what he writes, wrote, but he, he said, I did understand this. He says, you know, my whole life, I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. Interruptions can accomplish one of three purposes. They can allow us to bless someone that we weren't expecting to. They can allow us to have an unforeseen opportunity to be blessed by someone. Or they can just strengthen our self-discipline of listening and waiting and walking with God. What will we do with the next interruption? We're inviting you for 50 days to have a focused time of walking with Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus in our lives. When you walk out of this place, you will think. You will profile your situations. You will respond to them. In those, in those opportunities, you have situations that will present themselves and you'll have interruptions present themselves. The challenge and the invitation for all of us today is to say, let's think like Jesus in the middle of the circumstance at the time of the interruption. And in so doing, we become more formed to the image he made it for us to be. Let's pray. I want to talk to you with an awareness that you're right here in this room. That if we could open our, our spiritual eyes, we would see that you are present. You walked in with these individuals here. You've been with us when we've worshipped. And you've been the scripture of our lives. If it's true, God, and I believe it is, that you designed us to be like your son, and to, to have a relationship with him, That means that we will think the way he thinks. So right now, I want to ask you for the situation that somebody's got and and carried in with them today that is so profoundly draining or so confusing or so threatening, so painful, the loss that that person is feeling, the uncertainty they're they're feeling, that, that, that they can't even stop thinking about it. Would you grant right now that the presence of your son is with them in the middle of that circumstance, that you are there, that you are not surprised by it, that there is something beyond it, there is something behind it, that even if it's painful, that there is good, there's a good God, and there's a God who's in control. Give that perspective so that that person can walk through those moments with faith, and hope, maybe some measure of comfort and wisdom. We can kind of just relax, exhale just a little bit and think like your son thought when he was in those moments. And God, I pray for myself and for all of us, when you insert and inject the things in our lives that we just tend to think are so annoying because they block us, they frustrate our path, we don't think they mean anything, would you just give us eyes to see that 
it may be in those interruptions that the most profound moments happen. We simply just allow them to play out. Embrace them as part of the journey. As moments where you reveal details of your plan. When we're interrupted, help us recognize what it means to think like your son. To love in his name. To represent him well. To allow the the impact of those things to affect us, to draw us closer to you. God, would you... Would you give us a moment this week where we can walk with Jesus, we can practice his presence, and it would really affect the way we think and the way we live. Thank you for the offer to do that with us. It's in the name of your son, we pray. Amen. We really would invite you, uh, this is a lot of good stuff to unpack with other people. And if you're not in a cell group, this is, this is a great time to jump in with one. They're all open groups. There's a whole set of, uh, you know, we have them all on our cell wall. You can see. Do life with us. Come in and do, work this out with us. This is, we want to walk through this together, and that's where we take it from here. Um, like we said, if you did not get, um, you know, we're, we're seven, what is it? Day, study day eight, right? Day eight of 50 days with Jesus. It, some people go, oh, I missed the first five, so I'm out of luck. I just can't live with Jesus. Um, we really want to encourage you, you can just jump in. It, it, you don't have to have figured it all out. You can just jump in on any specific day and it should make sense to you. Uh, we got resources. And again, they're on the table in the, in the lobby. There's an electronic version. There's a paper version. We want to make sure everybody gets that one. All right. Thanks for j- walking through this. Thanks again to our band. Can you just thank them for what incredible job they did this weekend? Dan and the group. They have worked so hard. And man, what a great time that was. Stand with me, turn and say good morning to somebody you haven't met yet this morning, and we'll see you next time.